Well, welcome back. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. We're glad that you're here tonight. This is your first time with us. Uh, we're especially thankful and glad that you're here. And uh, we, don't, uh, we don't often play games here, but was it nice to kind of break it up just a little bit and have a little bit of fun to kick things off? Was that cool? Did you guys mind? <laughs> Three people are like, eh, let's just sing. Uh, <clears throat> um, we do have a couple of, of uh, couple of big kind of game like game outs like this planned throughout the semester. So hopefully, um, hopefully you look forward. And we'll try to we'll try to do a good job pulling those off. And so appreciate Chris and Brian, those guys helping us out, and uh, for you guys that that um, helped us be ghosts and Pac-Man and all that kind of stuff. So. Hey, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 14 tonight, can you? Luke chapter 14. I want to encourage you every week to bring a, a paper copy of the Scripture. About, it's probably once, um, I'd say once or twice a week, I have a parent or a student ask me, it's normally a parent, say, hey, my kid really wants to bring, or my student really wants to bring their, uh, their iPad or their Kindle or their, their iPhone. Um, and hey, if you get caught in a pinch, you forget your Bible, by all means, you know, look it up on your phone. Um, I do that from time to time, and uh, I have Bible apps on my phone. I encourage you to put them on yours as well, uh, or your Kindle or whatever. But uh, I think there's a lot of value. There's a lot of value in having this with you. Uh, and and, and uh, so I just want to encourage you to bring it every week if you can. Bring something to write with, something to write on. I encourage you to take notes in <clears throat> Luke chapter 14. One of the things that I heard most often from my mother growing up, my mom was just with us uh, this last week. My mom and dad are still married, and uh, they're... They were with us for Labor Day weekend, and uh, my, my kids called them Mimi and Papa. So Mimi and Papa were with us uh, over the long weekend. I love my mom. I have a great relationship with my mom. But one of the things that I heard from my mom uh, routinely, I'm talking like every, at least once a week and probably more, uh, especially when I was in middle school, and, and, uh, but, but also through high school, uh, usually not in a calm, collected manner. It was usually in a very agitated state, and she had every reason to be agitated. I was a terrible kid. Uh, she would yell to me, you need to get your priorities in line. It's, well, probably, she probably wouldn't say in straight. She'd probably say in line or get your priorities straight or you need to check your priorities. Uh, how many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you share that experience with me? You, you have been criticized or maybe by your parents. So everybody else, you guys are just liars. Um, <clears throat> go ahead and put your, put your hands down. Uh, I think that's a pretty, pretty common sentiment with parents. I think it's a pretty common thing for, for students to experience at some point, uh, some point in their process and their growing up and their development to say, hey, you know what? Your priorities aren't really uh, exactly where they need to be. Back in the day, um, you didn't used to call people um, to communicate. You didn't have the option of calling people to communicate. You had to call a place because people didn't have phones. Buildings had phones. I know this is a foreign concept to a lot of you, but you didn't call people, you called places. Uh, so if you wanted to get a hold of me uh, in the afternoons, you'd call my house. You wouldn't call me because I didn't have a phone. There was a time when it was cool to have a pager. I don't know why, but it was uh, you could page me and then I would still have to call your house or your phone. So there are two primary ways that, um, two things that I got kind of knocked for uh, when I was in middle school and high school for having my priorities out of line. Number one, uh, I was, I was uh, saying, you're, you know, you're spending too much time playing sports. You're spending too much time on football, too much time on baseball, too much time basketball, too much time running track, too much time doing whatever. You need to spend more time on your, what, your school or something, something more important than that, your homework, yeah, whatever. 
the other thing was I would get, I got uh, knocked for, especially in middle school, was spending too much time on the phone. And there were two ways that you could primarily communicate with members of the opposite sex. Guys don't really talk with other dudes on the phone. There's not really anything to, especially in middle school, be like, hey, hey. All right, man, see, <laughs> see, that's not really much to talk about, you know. Um, <clears throat> but from time to time, I could, I would uh, convince uh, a girl to talk with me from time to time. And um, I know it's hard, to, it's hard to believe now, but I would, I would, uh, there's two primary ways you could communicate. We didn't have text message. And, um, you know, so you would have to do one of two things. You could either physically write a note, uh, which was, yeah, I don't know. Oh, oh that's a sweet thing for a youth pastor writing notes to girls in sixth grade. Um, but I did. All right, I'm guilty as charged. So we would have notes. And you had to sit there. And it was always an excruciating process for me. Uh, but I had to sit there and, and kind of, you know, be looking at their note and then, like, the questions that they ask, make sure I answered all the questions, you know, and, like, what are you doing this weekend? All right, here's my plans. I'm playing football and getting yelled at from my mom for talking on the phone. Uh, but I had to write a note. And then you'd have to pull this kind of, like, you know, mission impossible, born identity kind of, like, Passover thing in the hallway. We'd, like, walk past them and, like, drop the note and pick <laughs> up the note or give it to a friend, and they give it to a friend who comes through, or some kind of ambassador comes to you, and then you read it. So you had to do that, or you had to talk on the phone. So I was always getting yelled at for being on the phone because I always, it was like a covert. Everything about relationships for me in middle school was covert. The passing of the notes was covert. The reading of the notes during class was covert. The sneaking the cordless phone out of the kitchen into my bedroom was covert so I could talk on the phone. Uh, And then the whole process of, you know, trying to figure out while I'm listening to this person, has my mom gone into her bedroom and done the whole silently hold your finger over the thing, pick up and listen. So I'm constantly listening for somebody else, you know, on the line, little sister. thing. Everything was covert. And I was always getting in trouble for having my priorities out of line. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is talking to a group of people, and he's basically talking to them about their priorities. Okay, so I want us to listen in on this conversation starting in verse 28, sorry, in verse 25. It says, now great crowds, he's in a multitude of people, accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, okay, he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me, okay, or comes after me, I would say, if anyone desires to follow me, and that's what we're talking about in this series, not a fan means becoming a follower, completely devoted or completely committed follower of Jesus, not a fan, not an outside admirer, not somebody who knows a lot of information, but somebody who has an intimate relationship with Jesus. If anyone comes to me or comes after me or follows me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. All right, so let's pray and then you can be dismissed, okay? Just kidding. <laughs> like, just, totally, just kidding. <clears throat> what in the world... What in the world does that mean, okay? What in the world does that mean? Some of you, right, some of you are here and you're like, yes, all of this rage in my heart, all of these fights I've been getting with my parents, I am completely justified because it shows how much I love Jesus, right? You're like, this is all about me. This is exactly what I've been waiting for. I love Jesus so much that I hate my family. And I want a new family. I want a different family. I can live on my own. I want freedom because look how much I love Jesus. I got problems. You got problems with Jesus. I got problems with you. That's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. 
Let's read on. We'll come back to what he is saying in just a second. Let's read on. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus talks about following Christ being a narrow path. It's because it's not necessarily easy. It's not for everyone. It's difficult. It's difficult. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and he's not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and he asks for terms of peace. So therefore, and this is, he's summarizing the whole parable, the whole teaching in this one sentence. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What does Jesus mean when he says, you have to hate your mother and your father and your brothers and your sisters and even your own life, and you have to give everything that you have, and you have to renounce every part of who you are to come after me. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Here's the big idea for tonight, okay? The big idea is this. Jesus wants to be your one and only priority, not one of many. Jesus wants to be one and only, not one of many. Jesus wants to be, if you're taking notes, this is a great thing for you to write down. Jesus wants to be one and only, not one of many. Is Jesus really saying, okay, you're smart people, you're educated, you go to school, and you've, you've uh, been in, in school for a long time. What is Jesus saying when he says you should hate your father and mother? You should hate your brothers and your sisters, even your own life if necessary, and, and give up everything that you have. What is he saying? It's not, like, it's not hypothetical. It's not rhetorical. Somebody give me an answer. Somebody, what's he saying? What's he saying? Somebody take a stab at it. All the way back. I see that hand, Tyler Gibson. What's he saying? You should hate your mother. What's he saying? They should be second and not first. Okay? It's a good answer. What else? What's he saying? What is he saying? All right, I got you, Justin Jones. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's right. You got it, man. You guys have both nailed it. What is, what, what is he saying? Is he saying that you should hate them? Of course not, because that violates every core teaching uh, of Jesus, right? Jesus talks about loving others as yourself, loving other people, love God, love us. So he's not saying that you should hate your, but he's saying comparatively, comparatively, because those, by and large, and maybe not for all of us, maybe, in fact, in fact, I know for some in this room, okay, you don't have a great relationship with your mom and dad. In fact, you may not have a relationship with dad at all, and mom uh, is sketchy at best, or you may not have a relationship with mom, but dad is sketchy at best, and, and, and both of them combined form less than the ideal parent situation. I understand that for some people in this room, your family situation is a total disaster, and it's not your fault. Um, and, and for you, you may say, hey, this analogy, this, this breaks down, it makes no sense whatsoever. But um, for most of us, and even those of you that have, you've um, quote-unquote broken homes or whatever, this is true. This is true for you as well at some level. Our deepest affections, okay, our deepest humanly affections are for who? They're for our family, right? They're for our family. 
our deepest human affections are for our family. And so what Jesus is saying is that, um, and, it's, and it's totally transforming. You understand, this is the first time in human history that a, that, that a leader the leader has, has put himself in this, um, in this category. And it's completely transformational. He's saying, what Jesus is saying is that in order for every other relationship in your life to work, in order for everything else to be as it should be and as I've designed it to be, your relationship with me has to be paramount. And instead of me being the top of many priorities, I have to be the only priority in your life. And that through me and through my relationship with me, you have to trust me enough that all of your other affections, all of your other emotions, all of your other cares and concerns, that through the grid of Jesus and through a, through a Christian worldview, all of those other things will fall into place. And they may not be exactly as you would have them to be, but they'd be exactly as I've planned and orchestrated for them to be from the, from the beginning of time, from the foundation of the world. And so what we say to Jesus when we say, when we say that, that we're just going to kind of throw you in the mix, and if life is a big race, we're going to say, hey, sometimes Jesus is going to win, sometimes uh, relationships are going to win, sometimes our material possessions are going to win, sometimes our pride is going to win, and all these things are kind of vying for our most sacred affection, for our, the place of highest honor within our own self and with our, our own being. And he's saying that can't be, that I'm, I, he, he's somewhat like a jealous lover, that he just simply cannot tolerate another person, another thing in the relationship. That it's all about me and him. It's all about you and him. You say, well, why does it have to use the word hate? I mean, this is a strong word. Because it's true. Because it's true. Uh, if one of you saw me having um, having dinner with a a, a lady at a oh, let's pick a restaurant at a Olive Garden, okay? Say we're down at Olive Garden, and um, you guys know my my bride is somewhere. She's right there in the corner, making kind of wave. She hates it when I do this, and she is right there. Um, <clears throat> and you saw me having uh, kind of a romantic looking. Uh, dinner with somebody who doesn't look anything like Megan. And it's obvious that she's not my mom. And it's obvious that she's not my sister, which is a gross thing about it. Anyways, but it's obvious that it's not my sister. And you would know if it's my sister. My sister looks just like me with hair, all right? <laughs> just exactly like me with, with hair. Uh, so you would know. But, but it's obvious. It's obvious. And you come up to confront me and you say, hey, um, hey, how's it going, Brother Derek? You want to introduce me to your friend? I'm like, oh, yeah, hey, this is... Um, you know, this is, uh, uh, this is Jessica. Oh, there's nobody here named Jessica, is there? I just picked a name. There's this Jessica, and um, yeah, we're, we're just having, having dinner, kind of, a, you know, just a little date here. Meg's, Meg's at home watching the kids, uh, and she's cool. She, know, she understands that, you know, I love her most, uh, but I spend some time with Jessica from, from time to time. How do you think that's going to fly when I get home? Probably not very good, right? How many of you in your relationships with your future spouse would like to say, like to hear that, you know, out of all of the women in my life, I love you the most. Out of all the guys in my life that I spend time with, I really, truly care about you the, 
most that that's how you wind up on TV. Okay? <laughs> that's how you wind up on the evening news. And hey, here's here's the deal. Here's the deal. Too often. Okay. Too often. Look, did you just want to have a great relationship with your mom and dad? Yeah, but could should you be willing? And this is what he's getting at. Should you be willing to forsake every other relationship in your life in every material possession that you own would you be willing to give up everything you have and still have Jesus you may say man we're in Cleveland today that's the craziest you know we've had several students that have come through our ministry in the last couple of years who have done that very thing we just sent a, stu- we just sent a kid to Cookful a couple of weeks ago um, who had that very same, he, like, was living with a parent, was, like, he was living in his house, he became a Christian, he had to move out. Because he converted from religion that that, that, wasn't, that that wasn't allowed. Okay, We had uh, a young lady here who had to wait until she was 18 to be baptized because um, her, her parents um, were very, very upset and frustrated with the fact that she was um, converting to Christianity from an from a atheistic, kind of agnostic, um, family upbringing and felt like she was portraying um, her. We've had several instances like that in the last several years, just right here in Cleveland, Tennessee, out of our student ministry, students who it's cost them dearly. It's cost them dearly. So how do you know if your priorities are like, one more thing I want to say about priorities before we ask you a couple of diagnostic questions, okay? Ask you a couple of diagnostic questions. You know, we often think of priorities kind of in sequence, you know, like number one, like kind of the old school way. And I'll be honest, before I really studied this passage um, in depth, I'm probably, I was probably guilty of this on some level. Uh, God's here, and then uh, family, uh, and then like maybe your job or your sport, uh, and then, you know, like for me, it'd be like Oreos, and then uh, just like kind of on down the line, Right? You kind of think of it. You kind of think of it in terms of a list, in sequence. But what Jesus is saying is, there's there's one spot on the list. There's one thing that can be your ultimate, your supreme priority, and it has to be me. It has to be me. Um, but in my mind, I'm still trying to figure out how do you deal with you know family, work, uh, things that you like to do for fun. How how do those things play into and what happens is, instead of listing them like this, okay, and sequentially, what happens is, is they get turned linearly, okay, in a line. And what happens is Jesus becomes your ultimate priority. When Jesus becomes your ultimate priority, he is the filter through which you view your day, your week, your month, your life, right? Our lives move linearly, right? You understand like a timeline, okay? And, and so on a small level, on a small level, uh, many of you consider yourself students, leaders in our student ministry, uh, and, and, you know, Wednesday night church isn't the most, the single most important thing in your life, like you're thinking of it on the old school kind of list view, like one, two, three, four, five. You wouldn't put Wednesday night at 7.30, uh, be there at Chi Alpha, be at First Baptist, whatever. But guess what? Um, if you look at it kind of linearly, hey, Wednesday night at 7.30, this is the most important thing going on in your world. Because we need you here because we need your leadership. Right? Like, 
Algebra one in the grand scheme of life may not be the most important thing that you ever attempt or accomplish or trigger or whatever, but first period every day from, you know, whatever, from 8.30 to 9.50 or whatever, hey, guess what? That's the most important thing in your life because that's what you committed to do. That's what you signed up to do. That's just, hey, your, your football team, not the most important thing that you, not the most important thing you'll ever do in your life. But every day after school from, you know, from three o'clock to 5.30 or whatever, that's what you've committed to do. And so that's your priority. And so too often what happens is we, well, too often what happens is we don't let Christ, okay, we don't let Christ be the filter for what we do in our priority and how we spend our time and how we spend our affection. And so the, the, the linear part gets kind of messed up because we don't have Christ as the ultimate authority. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me? Are you following with me? Am I confusing you? I don't, I don't want to be confused. I want to, so, so what happens is, is we've got to make Christ the ultimate authority. And then through that, okay, then we commit where we spend our time. Then we commit where we spend our money. Then we commit where we spend our energy. And we can make decisions. And, we can, and it frees us up. It gives us freedom. Okay? It gives us freedom because Christ shapes um, how we define who we are. Christ, define, Christ defines for us who we are what we do. A couple of quick, quick questions I want you to ask yourself, and then, we'll, and then we'll close, okay? So how do you figure out, am I, um, are my priorities out of whack? Is, is there something other than Jesus that occupies the supreme, uh, the supreme priority in my life right here, right now? Question number one, all of you make some kind of money somehow, some way. You may not have a job, but you get money either for birthdays or for Christmas or um, just because your parents feel sorry for you or your granddad slips you 10 bucks, you know, a year, whatever it is, you have some money how do you spend it? How do you spend it? If you're taking notes, this is a great thing to, to, to write down. How do I spend my money? I can tell you a lot about who you are, what you value, what you care about. When I look at your debit card, when I look at how you spend your cash, when I look at how you spend your money. How do you spend your money? If you think of the last $100 that you have, where did it go? If the answer, listen to me, if the answer is GameStop, I'm serious. If the answer is GameStop, Dillard's, Zappos, well, like, it, like if it's all about you, okay, if the last $100 you made, all of it went to your clothes, your entertainment, uh, if it was all about you, if you didn't give any money back to the church, if you didn't support a missionary, if you didn't bless your brothers and sisters, if you didn't, like, if you didn't, at least part of that, you didn't give it back, guess what? You've got a problem. You've got a problem. What is the thing that brings you the most joy? The most ex- what is the thing that when people around you, you're most excited about? And what is the thing that, that, that causes you the most uh, sorrow? What was the thing? What, girls, the last time you just broke down, I mean, just like broke down romantic comedy, tears, snot, mascara, like just stuff going everywhere. What was it about? What was it about? Was it about a boy? Listen to me. Was it about a boy? Was it about, was it about something somebody said? Okay. Was it about a friend who just continues to reject the gospel? Guys, when was the last time you got re- like really, really, I mean like really, if you got really mad 
last time you got really excited, I mean, genuinely joyful, if the last time that happened was when your team either scored enough points or didn't score too many points, guess what? You've got a problem. You've got a problem. And so I just got to tell you, man, as I've prepared for this message, I've studied this passage, and I, that's me a lot of times. So this isn't a one-time struggle, man. This isn't a one-time, this is a, this is a daily thing. That's why he says, okay, that's why he says, <clears throat> whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me. And what he's saying is continually come after me. Continually pick up your cross and continually come after me. It's a lifelong pursuit and it's a lifelong battle. So I want to encourage you with a couple things, okay? Encourage you with a couple things. Number one, decide right here and right now tonight. If it's not been the case for you, for some of you it is, and that's great. But if it's not been the case for you, make Jesus the ultimate priority in your life tonight. Make him the one and only, not one of many. Identify all those other things that share the platform, that share the space, and obliterate them. Destroy them. Discard them. Leave them in the dust. If it's a person, fine, so be it. If it's a, if it's a relationship, fine, so be it. If it's a lifestyle, if it's, a, if, it's, if it's pride, if it's arrogance, if it's a sport, whatever it is, leave all of it, abandon it, and trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Number two, I want you to find people and identify people and relationships um, in your life that, that require action on your part. It may be that you need to go and forgive someone. Maybe you need to go and ask forgiveness for someone. Maybe somebody that you've coveted something that they have or somebody who they are for a long time. And you've been jealous and you've allowed anger and bitterness to take root in your heart and they haven't done anything wrong to you. They haven't done anything wrong to you. They haven't intentionally um, sinned against you in any way, but you've just developed a hardened heart towards that person, that group of people. You need to repent and you need to apologize and you seek their forgiveness. It may be a friend that you develop a relationship with and you've completely hidden from them the fact that you're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered Christian in every way, uh, in every part of who you are except in, their, in your friendship. And you need to repent and you need to ask their forgiveness and you need to tell them about Jesus. You need to seek to win that person to Jesus because you've hidden every single part of who you are from them. I don't know what it is for you and for where you're at, and I'm, I'm not implying that, that every single person in this room is guilty of this, but I can tell you for, for me, man, Luke chapter 14 has wrecked me today. So here's what I want to advise to do. I'm going to take just a couple of minutes, and the guys are going to come up and they're going to play something um, kind of soft. And, and listen, I, um, I don't know what God's calling you to do, I'm not asking you to do I'm not asking you to get up out of your seat. You can if you need to. If that person that you need to talk to is in the room, then go talk to them. If, uh, if you need to step out and make a phone call, you need to shoot a text, you can talk to mom and dad, and you just need to call them and say, hey, you know what, I, I apologize, man. I've been a prideful, arrogant brat the last couple weeks. If you need accountability in your life, there's adults all across the back. All through, all throughout here, all across the room, scattered throughout. I'll be here. You come talk to us. You can take one by hand and say, "Hey, I just need somebody. I just need some. I need some accountability. I just need to tell you some things. I need to confess some things. 
want to pray for you. I want to love you. I'm not going to call your parents. I'm not going to do anything like that. Some of you have been coming week after week after week after week, and you've heard the gospel, you've heard the gospel, you've heard the gospel, because you want to cling to an old way of life that will ultimately lead to destruction. You've, you've continually rejected Jesus, and you've continually rejected the hope that is found in, in the salvation that's available through him because you know that it costs something to follow Jesus. How many more times are you going to reject Christ? How many more times are you going to come under conviction of the Holy Spirit and walk through those doors and try to return to life as normal, knowing, knowing that the truth is not found within you? How many more times? Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, God, I thank you for these convicting, powerful words from Jesus. God, I, I thank you that I serve a God God does not make it easy to come after him. And I thank you, God, that I thank you that it costs us something. I thank you for the blessing that is found in the lordship of Jesus. God, tonight, I sense that there, all, all throughout this room, I sense that your spirit is moving in the lives of students. Help us not to do anything that would hinder its work. I pray that we've made much of you tonight, that Jesus has been exalted.